0: Today is lesson two in our series called Current Culture. And today we're going to go over biblical economics. Now, there are three different ways that we can organize a, an economy. And we're going to take a look at each of those three different ways. And we want to try to determine what is the best way as believers for us uh, to live in. What, what is the best way to organize in an economy for us to do what god wants us to do with the money that he's given to us basically that's the question that we want to ask well i want to begin by showing you a chart and going over uh, a simple exercise to help get a point across as we begin this lesson so you can see here there's a chart of soft drink sales And this is from 2010, but that's uh, really not relevant in the point that I'm trying to make. But you can see that uh, in the sales, Coca-Cola was the number one sold soda, followed by Diet Coke, Pepsi, Mountain Dew, and the list goes on. Uh, We've got a few trailers at the end, so sorry for any Fanta fans out there, Um, but sales didn't look too good for you back then. But you can clearly see here that coca-cola was there was the most interest for this type of soda people were buying coca-cola it sold the most so what i want you to notice here is you can see that coca-cola was the highest can you see how um, where you spend your money is similar to casting a vote okay where you spend your money that's similar to casting a vote The people that are buying Coca-Cola are saying, I vote for this product. I I want this product, I'll pay for this product. You see that, right? People are saying, I've I've worked hard for my money, I'm willing to spend my money on this. So when we purchase things, it's like casting a vote for that product. Now also when we purchase things, um, who or what influences us? Maybe you don't think about this, but we, we are definitely influenced um, when we make purchases and when we cast these votes. How about advertisements, right? Think about all the, the money spent on advertising, whether it's billboards as you're driving around or commercials or uh, radio advertisements as you're listening to music. People are constantly advertising their products, trying to get you to cast your vote for them. What about your friends, right? Your friends will influence how you cast your vote. How about your kids? Kids are definitely gonna uh, influence you on where you cast your vote and certain things you might need to purchase. Um, How about your experiences? Experiences, man, if if I've had a bad run-in with a certain type of car, guess what? They don't get my vote anymore. And ultimately, what about God? Does God influence where you get your vote? because he should. Um, So we're going to talk about this. And economics is basically just the study of how um, people spend money. That's basically what economics is. And as believers, we should be at a point where a major influence in our lives is God. Where are we casting our votes? Is um, Is God happy with that? Is that along the lines of God's will? Uh, This is an important concept, okay? We need to be intentional on where we're going to cast our votes and what we're going to spend our money on. I want to talk about hidden costs for a moment, okay? Hidden costs. So suppose that you spent 50 cents a day, five days a week on a high-calorie treat. How much would you spend on those daily treats over the course of 30 years? We'll have to see if we have any uh, math wizards here. Okay, 50 cents a day on these treats, uh, once a day, five days a week for 30 years. The answer, $3,900. $3,900, that might seem crazy, but a little purchase repeated over and over again, over 30 years, is really going to add up. Most of us are not gonna be willing to pay $4,000 to eat a small treat every day for 30 years. That seems like a crazy amount of money. And I can think of some additional hidden costs as well. On top of the $4,000, what about medical bills down the road? If you're gonna be eating high calorie treats, um, you might have health problems down the road. You might have to start purchasing um, medication to help your body uh, get back to where it should be. There are some hidden costs that you're not considering at the time you're eating that treat. Or what about a gym membership? All right, if you're eating high calorie treats, you might start putting on a little bit of weight and you wanna get that off. Well, if you have to purchase a gym membership, all of a sudden those little 50 cent treats aren't as cheap as you thought they were. And how about this hidden cost? Okay, every time you make this little purchase, you may be missing out on an opportunity to invest your money in eternity. And i say that with all seriousness you could be missing out on a better way to spend your money and oftentimes when we spend our money we're rarely thinking about the hidden costs um, that that come with it and hopefully through this lesson we're going to start to understand how we should uh, be spending our money how um, we should have a biblical economics view uh, a view from god's perspective I mean, we should be trying as believers to be good stewards of what he's given to us. And it's important that we're on top of it, that we know where our money's going, even in the little things. So even uh, as the simple things like buying coffees and candy bars, um, we need to be intentional and we need to know how we're using the money that God has given to us. So let's take a look at the basis for evaluating economics. I'm gonna read a section written by Jeff Heyman, who is the associate professor of economics at Cedarville, as he uh, explains the basis for evaluating economics. He says, positive economics tells us what is. For example, if we raise the minimum wage, positive economics would tell us what the results would be. Normative economics, on the other hand, is the consideration of what should be. Should we raise the minimum wage? Positive economics should be cut and dry and based on facts, but normative economics needs an ethical basis on which to rest. Who or what determines the answers raised by normative economics? Secular economic textbooks use a mixture of ethical bases to guide their normative economics. Some use utilitarianism or the principle of non-aggression but others ignore the basis for their normative economics altogether. In the marketplace, the arguments for and against issues are based on evidence from both positive economics and normative economics. Some appeal to the numbers, while others appeal to ideas, like compassion. Those who argue the numbers call their opponents ignorant. Those who employ normative economic arguments call their opponents cold and heartless. Economic debates would be much more productive if the various bases for normative economic arguments were identified up front. Believers can provide a more complete approach to economics, answering both positive and normative questions. The Bible is the basis for answering normative questions. That does not mean economic debates don't exist in Christian circles, But determining how the Bible connects with the what-should-be questions of economics is not always easy to do. The Bible also provides a solid basis for evaluating the major economic systems. For example, a communist believes changing man's environment to a utopian state will cause him to be a new man, willing to work for the good of society. The Christian understands that changing a person's environment won't make him a better person. Sin affects people in negative ways, no matter their environment. Based on this truth, the Christian knows communism could never work. Overall, we as believers know that no economic system could ever be perfect because it's made up of imperfect people. But we can evaluate the systems to see which one allows us the greatest freedom to live according to God's instructions for us in his word. So now that we've covered the basis for evaluating economics, now let's look at the ways to organize an economy. And organizing an economy falls into three major categories, free markets, communism, and socialism. So first, we're gonna look at a free market. In a free market economy, we are free to exchange money or goods For the goods of others so for example an employee exchanges his labor for a paycheck or maybe somebody has certain goods and they sell them for money or in a free market economy you are even allowed to trade one good for another good and what happens is uh, there becomes a need to facilitate the um, increase of these trades to happen more and more um so you start getting things like uh, eBay and Craigslist and uh, Facebook Marketplace, which allows private individuals to sell or trade goods uh, more frequently. And now, uh, this this can cause someone to easily be able to expand who they're trying to sell to. So you could have a yard sale, garage sale, and very quickly, through the use of the internet, broadcast it nationwide with pretty little effort and this is all usually pretty good for the economy as long as both parties the buyer and the seller are um, happy and they're both benefiting from these exchanges question what happens when a seller can't convince buyers that his goods are worth their money well he either has to change the goods he's selling lower the price advertise better or go out of business. People have the right to own property in a free market economy, and that includes owning themselves. So when a person works and he earns a paycheck, it's his. He gets to keep it and he gets to spend it however he wants to. Now for a believer, uh, we know that God has some things to say about how we spend our money and the, the fruits of our labor and that we have stewardship that's required of us but we're gonna to get to that uh, it later in this lesson but uh, a free market economy is free you're free to trade to sell to to earn a paycheck it's yours you get to keep it and it you can do with it whatever you want to the second way you could organize an economy is with communism well if we have a spectrum, if, if, if a free market economy is on one end of the spectrum, then communism is all the way on the opposite end. All right, the communist party owns the property, not an individual. So the communist party decides what is being sold and, and what you can create by what they think is best. Uh, they're the ones that make the decisions. In a communist party, the state owns everything. So a business, an individual, they cannot sell or manufacture goods without permission from the state. How motivated to work would you be if you lived under a communist system? How motivated would you be? I mean, I wouldn't be very motivated. You're not allowed to do anything except for what the government tells you to or allows you to. So you can't create, manufacture, sell anything that you want to do specifically on your own. You ne- can't necessarily follow your dreams. They're regulating everything, okay? They're doing what they think is best. So what happens is, if you, if you look at a history of communistic countries, uh, there's this inherent problem where people don't work very hard, if at all, because of lack of motivation this is the huge problem this is exactly why the ussr uh, eventually collapsed it was due to lack of worker motivation this is the problem with the uh, economic system of communism we looked at a uh, free market economy and we looked we just looked at communism but a third way to organize an economy is through socialism now socialism is uh, basically a hybrid between uh, the free market and communism. In a socialistic system, uh, you are allowed to own property, and uh, you you can have take you can take part in um, a retail business and retail markets. Um, but the state's going to own um, the tools and the means by which you do this. The goal of a socialistic system is to produce enough goods for all. And they really discourage profit and accumulation of wealth. Okay, they're discouraging profit and accumulation of wealth. I mean, there are several different varieties of a socialistic, socialistic systems. Um, one is they'll they'll redistribute to um, people as they've contributed. There's other systems where uh, they will redistribute the wealth uh, based on your ability or based on your needs, but. Uh, No no matter what variety of socialism it is, the private individual um, does not have the ability to accumulate and gain wealth. Your private possessions are going to be limited to what you need or use personally. So let's say your clothes, for example. They're going to limit what kind of clothes you have and how many you have. I mean, the goal in a socialistic system is equality for all and individuals are not uh, allowed to acquire wealth. So we've looked at the three different ways that you can organize an economy. We've looked at the free market, we looked at communism, we looked at socialism. Now it's time to look at biblical economics, okay? Our goal as a believer should not be to get God's approval on our favorite economic system. No, that's, that's not how it works. No, we need to find out what God's word says and then see which system best aligns with God's principles. The first point I want to look at is, as believers, our responsibility as private stewards. Well, ownership and distribution of goods is a major issue when determining an economic system. Let's start out by looking at Psalm 24 verse 1. Okay, We're going to start looking at some scripture And seeing what God's Word says so Psalm 24 verse 1 it says this the earth is the Lord's and all it contains the world and those who dwell in it which of the three economic systems recognizes God's ownership over everything and everyone which system is it the answer none of them right none of them uh, of the of the big three, none of them recognize that God owns everything. Everything belongs to Him. Now, as a believer, um, we need to know that, and we need to understand that everything belongs to Him, and therefore, we want to be part of an economy that would allow us to be good stewards of what is His. All right, we want that freedom. Now, stewardship uh stewardship is simply you're managing something for someone else that belongs to someone else for their good or for their benefit so if we believe everything that belongs to god if we believe everything is god's and we're going going to be stewards of it we are going to manage it in a way that benefits him and this was the design from the very beginning okay and back at creation god put adam and eve in the garden and he assigned them to rule over the creation genesis chapter one then in chapter two he told them to attend the garden so they were stewards from the very beginning they were basically managers of god's economy that's how the world began and that's how god's design was when he created the earth well at the beginning adam and eve were perfect and they were sinless in their stewardship and their managing of the earth, but then the fall happened, and since then, sin has entered the world, and Adam's job has gotten a lot harder, right? Adam's job became more difficult because it's a sinful world now. It's cursed he lives in a a a sinful body that's deteriorating and it's it's not perfect anymore so um our ability as humans to be stewards has become more difficult since the fall but from the very beginning uh stewardship of gods uh of everything because it's gods was the original design i want to take a look at the eighth commandment to see what that shows us about ownership The Eighth Commandment is found in Exodus 20, verse 15. And it says, you shall not steal. You shall not steal. Now, what does this communicate about ownership? Well, it tells us that people have a God-given right to own goods and that no one has the right to steal their goods. Let's talk about coveting. Let's take a look at Exodus 20, verse 17. This is the Tenth Commandment. It says you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor hebrews thirteen five says make sure that your way of life is free from the love of money being content with what you have for he himself has said i will never desert you nor will i ever forsake you so looking at these two verses um, we can see why it's so offensive to God to covet what other people have. Uh, we're, we're expressing our dissatisfaction with what he has given us. We're, we're, we're throwing out doubt and we're saying to God, you, you don't know what's best for me. So we shouldn't be coveting what other people have. Uh, it is offensive to God. But when we look at the Eighth Commandment and the Tenth Commandment, both of these are implying that there should be private ownership over goods like the oxen and when we look at the oxen uh, this was the means for creating wealth during the old testament days let's go ahead and look at proverbs 14 verse 4 and it says this where no oxen are the manger is clean but much revenue comes by the strength of the ox the right to own and distribute goods is foundational in the free market economy Unbelievers recognize this, but for believers, we also know it's important to be good stewards of what God has given to us. Uh, Jesus made uh, a, a clear emphasis on stewardship when he told the parable about the man with the talents in Matthew chapter 25. And the point that Jesus is trying to get across is this, we are going to be held accountable for the way that we managed what God has given to us. We're going to be accountable, and part of that evaluation is going to include whether or not we used what He gave us for His glory. 2 Corinthians 5, 9-10 says this, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So with everything that we've been entrusted to from God, our aim should be pleasing to him. We want to be stewards uh, that are we're, we're using the things he's given us to uh, please him. And so as we've looked at different types of economic systems, a free market economy really is the best way that we can Uh, be good stewards for God. It gives us the most freedom and the most opportunities. But even if uh, you're in a communist or a socialist state, um, you can still be good stewards for him. You can still do with what you have. You could use your time and your talents uh, to serve other people and to benefit them. Or um, if, if you have little money coming in, you could still use that money uh, to the best of your ability to benefit other people and, and, and advance the kingdom of God. I've just talked about how we have a personal responsibility as a private steward for God and what He has entrusted to us. Now we're going to look at freedom and restraint. Being created in the image of God back in Genesis chapter 1 means that we are people with mind emotion and will it means we can be creative we can solve problems we can make moral assessments we can devise plans and we can carry out responsibilities and we can be blessings to other people an economic system should recognize the abilities that god has given to humanity and it should allow for the exercise of those abilities but by contrast we as fallen beings are also capable of atrocities and gross injustices Um, if if you remember back in genesis chapter 6 how wicked the world had gone and how evil they were let's take a look at genesis 6 verse 5 it says then the lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually so it's important to understand the nature of man that man is inherently sinful and wicked and uh, we need to be aware of this. Now, so in an in a economy that can allow people to flourish and to excel, we also need to be aware that uh, man is evil and it, they, they will seek to do harm as well. They'll seek to exploit people and to gain advantages over people. Well, in a free market economy, there are some restraints in place, uh, things like competition. Competition really does limit uh, how severe someone's going to be able to exploit other people uh, because there's going to be repercussions for that. But if you look at like uh, communism and socialism, uh, there's really no... Um, It can get out of hand really fast, right? Because there's heavy restrictions and restraints on the people. But what about the party? What about the government? There's nothing on them. Nobody's watching them and checking on what they're doing. And what's the problem? The the people running that are human beings who are sinful in nature and tend to be evil and wicked. Or they are evil and wicked and so it's easy for things to get out of control when when stalin was in his regime it's estimated that he killed 15 million people uh under his control like that, that's somebody that you wouldn't want in power making decisions that they think are best uh for their country and coming down the line to you okay uh so there there's some problems with communism and socialism Here's the thing. The free market economy is not the perfect solution. It's not going to be perfect, um, but it's kind of the best we have. But here's the thing. Uh, even the millennial kingdom, when Jesus is here reigning on earth, it's still not perfect. There's going to be people who rebel against him and turn against him, even in that kingdom. Uh, there, there's going to be no society that's that's perfect until after the 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 Great White Throne Judgment. So we can't expect a free market economy to be perfect, but it's it's the best that we're looking at right now. Actually, let's take a look at um, some of uh, the merits of a free market economy. This chart is a good summary of what I've been talking about so far. And it talks about the merits of a free market economy. So number one, God has given people a stewardship. And a free market economy allows people to practice good stewardship. Secondly, God created people in His image, and a free market economy gives people an opportunity to make decisions and be creative. Thirdly, people are fallen and prone to exploit each other, and a free market economy provides some restraint. The last point I'm going to talk about is we'll say process versus outcome. Now, critics are quick to point out that within a free market economy, there are going to be people who prosper and those who suffer in poverty. Some of those critics are supporters of the social gospel, in which meeting the physical needs of humanity is their ultimate goal. Supporters of the social gospel will argue that an economy should result in more um, equality between members of the economy they condemn the free market system because they say it produces some who are really rich while others are really poor and they will cite bible passages that instruct us to care for the needs of the poor as support for the condemnation of free market economics well if we honestly look at all of scripture uh, we can see that there are a few different opposing uh, ideas to this so first off not everyone has the same gifts from God to use in generating income. Okay? Professional athletes obviously have more talent to earn money than I do. In the Bible, God would give special gifts to people to meet the demands of the plans that He had for them. I think the, the clearest one that comes to mind is Joseph, right? Joseph rose to power in Egypt because God directed his life and circumstances. But he was able to handle the job of managing Egypt's vast resources. God gave him those executive skills that he had. And when people excel in a free market economy, it does not mean the economy is unfair. Secondly, God allows some people to have more money than others so that they have an opportunity to help those in need. The Corinthian church was planning on giving money uh, to some of the needy believers. And the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, he was encouraging them to do as they had planned. So he says this in verses 13 through 15. For this is not for the relief of others and for your affliction, but by way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance also may become a supply for your need that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. So God was expecting the Corinthians to give from their abundance, to use it to relieve the poverty in the believers who didn't have as much money or were in need. Uh, If we look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul writes, each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, were they compelled to give? No, not under compulsion, he says. They were to give voluntarily. We need to consider how God might be trying to use us or direct us to help people who are in need. And just because there are people in need, doesn't mean that it's uh, necessarily the fault of the economic system that there are people who are needy and poor. And it doesn't mean that this is a problem necessarily that the state needs to come in and fix. Thirdly, we're going to go over several Bible passages that provide reasons why income inequality might exist. The first verses are found in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. We find this go to the ant, o sluggard observe her ways and be wise which having no chief officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest how long will you lie down o sluggard when will you arise from your sleep a little sleep a little slumber a little folding of the hands to rest your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your want like an armed man." So what is the reason here for uh, inequality at times? It's laziness. Laziness could be the reason that you're not where you could be. Ruth 1 verse 1, Now it came about in the days when the judges governed, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The reason here for inequality was drought or natural disaster. It caused these people to have to move and relocate and was the reason for their inequality or low financial status. Next we have James chapter 2 verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who press you and they themselves drag you into court? And then in chapter 5 verse 4. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, that which has been withheld by you, cries out against you. And the outcries of those who did the harvesting have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. So the reason here was exploitation by the rich and the powerful. And we had just talked about how uh, sinful man is, man's nature. So this is another reason why there's inequality job 120 and 21 says this then job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and worshiped he said naked i came from my mother's womb and naked i shall return there the lord gave and the lord has taken away blessed be the name of the lord first samuel 2 verse 7 says the lord makes poor and rich he brings low he also exalts. So, this reason is God's providence. God's providence declares who's going to have and who's not going to have. Proverbs 10, verse 4 says, Poor is he who works with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So, again, we have a lazy versus a hard worker. And lastly, Proverbs 10, 22 which says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no pain with it. So we see God's divine blessing. It's God's choice who has and who does not. So God also has a say in the inequality that exists. We should be careful when we're concluding about people's financial status and what we think. Just because a person is poor doesn't mean that they're a lazy person. Just because a person has money and are rich doesn't mean that they exploited the poor to get that money. Common sense should tell us this. The Bible gives us uh, several different reasons as to why people have different financial statuses in this life. And nowhere in the Bible does it say or back up that we should be taking money from the rich and giving to the poor. Uh, Sometimes it's better to do nothing. In Proverbs, it says that a lazy man, uh, we should let his hunger motivate him to work. Why does God allow some people to suffer while others prosper? I can't give you an all-encompassing direct answer to that, but I do know this. We can be sure that God is on his throne and that he has a plan. And being that he has a plan, we should consider what are the ways that we can help people who are in need. That is the process. And then we should think to ourselves, what is the end result? Because that is going to be the outcome. Maybe his plan is growing us and, and making our hearts become more like Christ. But whatever the reason is, we know that the process is, of meeting needs is just as important as the outcome the end doesn't justify the means and since a free market economy values uh, owning your own goods and and uh, distributing them it provides the best opportunity for us to be good stewards of what god has given us communism and socialism focus on the end they're focusing on equality for all But it takes away our rights as individuals to choose what we want to do with the resources that we have. Um, Those systems want to use coercive collective choice to supposedly solve social problems. But history has shown and it has proven that the free market economy is the best way to help people get out of poverty. So we have covered a lot today. But I want to ask, how seriously do you take your stewardship of what God has entrusted to you? How seriously do you take your stewardship of what God has entrusted to you? Because remember, God owns everything and everyone. We need to be intentional with our money. Remember the hidden costs that we talked about at the beginning. We are to be stewards of what God has given us. We are to be intentional. We are to help other people. We are to aid uh, God's will and his plan for us and those around us. Uh, So think about this. How are you doing in your area of stewardship with what God has provided to you? This is our biblical response to this current cultural issue. We need to take our stewardship from God seriously. Our memory verse for this week is Psalm 24-1, the first verse that we looked at today. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Thank you for listening in on Biblical Economics. And I'll give you a sneak peek in the lesson topic for next week, which is the social media tool. There's a lot of advantages to social media, but there's also a lot of dangers as well. It can be good if we're encouraging one another and we're building people up, but it can be really bad if we're bragging or arguing with people or wasting time on social media. So tune in next week as we uh, address the different issues about how we can use social media in a good way, but also the dangers that come along with it. So see you next week.